Praise be to God. Glory to our King. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful again that we have the opportunity to be here with you in your presence and in the presence of the body of Christ today to worship you, to glorify your name, to honor you, and to give thanks, Lord, not just in the good times in our life, but to give thanks to you even through our difficulties, Lord, for you are the one who carries us through every storm we face. And Father, in uncertain times as we have today, just like today, you are with us. You are with us and you watch out for us. You care for us deeply. And Father, we just pray that you would open not only our eyes, but the eyes of those in the world who are called to your name, Lord, that you would reveal your truth to them, that they would come to know you. And Father, again, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. And Father, we just ask that you minister to each one of our hearts today, Lord, that you prepare us for the work you have for us this week. And we ask all of this in the gracious and holy name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, over the past two years, this world, our nation as well, Everyone in this whole world has faced a pandemic. And we have known this pandemic for the last two years, and we've all intimately known somebody who has been hurt by it, who has died from it, or who has been sick because of it. It's a, a pandemic that we have not seen in our lifetime on a scale that we haven't seen in our lifetime. And we have literally seen this world turned upside down because of it. And all of this turmoil has caused many to be divided, not only politically, but also divided over our medical and safety choices as this pandemic continues to wreak havoc on us physically, mentally, politically, and even spiritually. And though this pandemic can affect us in a negative way, we must always remember that we have to keep our eyes on the King the King of Kings, He's the one who leads us in our lives. He's the one who allows us to go through the trials that we go through. He's the one that we are to call on in our times of trouble. Now, we are seeing at this time another crisis between, in this crisis we find it in the East, it's between Russia and Ukraine. And believe me, this is a, an affecting the world as well. It's bringing unrest in the world. It's causing unrest in people. And all this unrest has been known to bring many people to their knees, either in fear or in prayer. And brothers and sisters, as believers, I certainly hope that it's bringing us to our knees in prayer and not to our knees in fear because we have nothing to fear in this world. Many people, when they face difficulty or trauma or some, of some kind, they tend to turn their eyes to God in uncertain times. And that's why it has drawn my attention to the prophetic thoughts that I've had over the past week. And that's why I entitled this sermon, Wars and Rumors of Wars, because... God told us that we are going to face uncertain times in this world. He told us that we are going to. And as I began to give more consideration to prophecy and its effect on people throughout the centuries, I can't help but to think that these prophecies have so much value to us as believers. They have so much 
in them to give us confidence that God is who He says He is. See, brothers and sisters, prophecy isn't for the benefit of God, it's for the benefit of us. It's to remind us that when God tells us that He's going to do something, and it's going to be down the road that He's going to do it, when it happens, we knew that it was going to happen because He told us beforehand that it was going to be happening. He told us ahead of time it was going to be happening. So we can have our hearts prepared. God never wants us to seek Him out and not be able to find Him. God wants us to know that we can trust Him and that His Word is true. And that's what prophecy does. And we especially remember the prophecies of our coming King and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Not only is He our coming King, but He is our King who has already come. Prophecies that were fulfilled, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Prophecies of how Israel would reject Jesus when Jesus came and they would reject Him happened. Prophecies about Him being crucified and being risen from the dead three days later. These are all prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not to bring fear upon us, to bring us comfort in knowing who God is and who the one true God is. And there is one prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled concerning Jesus Christ. One yet to be fulfilled. And that is that He will return for His people. He is going to come back to get His people. And when He does return, He will return with power and might. He will return as the Lion of Judah. He is coming in power. See, He's already come as a Lamb. He's already come as the meek and mild one who went to the cross. But now He's going to come in power and establish His kingdom once for all, for all men to serve Him and Him alone. So today I would like to take a look at Luke chapter 21. But before we go there, I know there has been controversy concerning this particular prophecy and when it was fulfilled or will be fulfilled. And I want to give you my position on it now, and it really doesn't matter what my position or your position is. That's not the purpose of this sermon today, but just so you kind of understand. I believe that this prophecy has already taken place. It has already occurred and is already fulfilled. And many of these events that we see in this prophecy have already happened. They are fulfilled completely. But today, it doesn't matter what your position is or what mine is on this particular prophecy because the message within this prophecy very much applies to us today as believers, whether it's already fulfilled or whether it's yet to be fulfilled, as we will see. So let us take a moment and take a look at this prophecy in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when one stone will not be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will all of these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, 
and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on the account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your minds not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. And then jump down to verse 32. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all of those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And today I'd like to make three points concerning this prophecy. And the first point is a point, as I promised I would share with you, that is, this prophecy has been fulfilled. I'd like us to take a closer look at verse 6 of this chapter, verse 6. Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And brothers and sisters, I would venture to say that any one of us who takes a trip over to Israel today will not find the temple. The temple does not exist. The temple has been destroyed. Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. He prophesied that this would happen ahead of time. And if you think about it, what is the purpose of the temple? And we'll get into a little bit more detail on it later. But right now, to understand what is the purpose of the temple? Was the temple a place that God dwelt? It was not. It was not a place that God dwelt. It was a place that sacrifice happened. And we'll see that in a little bit. So that's my first reason for believing this happened already. The second one, if we jump down to verse 32, we can see where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this generation, not a future generation, this generation, will, not, will certainly not pass away until what? Until all these things have happened. Not some of them, all of them. I am personally one who do not, does not think that Jesus was confused. 
I think Jesus knew how to use language that if he was talking about a future generation, the disciples and us today would understand that he was talking about a future generation. He, he should have said in here if it meant a future generation that few, a future generation will not pass. He said this generation. He was talking to his disciples. They understood that it meant their generation would not pass before these things happened. Jesus knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. He's in control, not us. And there are too many today who are painting pictures of all these prophetic things that are yet to happen and not focused on the things that really matter, the salvation of the souls of men. Of a church going out and the church doing the job that the church was called to do, to share the gospel message with the world. It is, we are called to go into the world and to make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is not just the job of the pastor. It is the job of every believer to share your faith. But brothers and sisters, this passage that Jesus was teaching the disciples. These are the kind of things and the kind of teachings that were coming from Jesus that upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They did not like Jesus teaching these things. And these are the reasons that they hated Jesus. They were looking for a military leader to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. They were looking for the Lion of Judah who was to come and conquer the enemies of God. But brothers and sisters, they don't understand that Jesus was the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God was talked about in the Old Testament also, not just the Lion of Judah. The one who was going to come, meek and mild, meek and tender. He came into the world to first provide the means of salvation, which was His spilt blood. He is and was the once-for-all perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin debt finally and completely. This had to happen before the temple could be destroyed. And the temple has to be destroyed before Jesus can come as the Lion of Judah. Jesus had to go to the cross first. He had to provide the means of salvation first. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are headed straight for the gates of hell. And the only reason anyone is not going to hell is because Jesus paid for your sin. If you lived a perfect life and only told one lie, and you do not believe Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell separated from God. God is perfect, and He will only allow perfection in the kingdom of God. That's why He went to the cross, because He knew that we were sinful people. He knew that we could not survive without Him if He didn't go as the once-for-all sacrifice. Because which one of us was worthy to go to the cross for everyone in the world? Any of us? Do you know of anybody else other than Jesus that was able to go to the cross and pay the sin debt once for all for everyone who was sinless, who was free from sin, who lived as a man just like us? The only one is Jesus Christ.
So you see, the temple had to be destroyed because animal sacrifices are no longer necessary. They will never be necessary again. Another temple will never be built. That is not what people want to hear today. They think that there's going to be another temple and there are going to be, it's going to start animal sacrifices again. No, Jesus paid for our sin debt once for all. There will never be another temple built. If you want to know where the temple is, it's you and it's me. It's the body of Christ. We make up the temple of God. So the temple is no place that you need to go to meet God any longer. You remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John 4.21? What did he say to the Samaritan woman? John 4.21. He declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to a temple any longer to worship God. You do not have to go to a temple to sacrifice your sin and to have animal sacrifices cover your sins any longer. It's not necessary. And he went on to say that you Samaritans worship what you do not know and we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. What does that mean? That means you do not need a temple. You can pray to God. You can talk to God. You can worship God in the morning when you wake up. You can worship God at night before you go to bed. You can worship God throughout the day as you're walking and spending time with friends and family. You can worship Him in spirit and truth. You do not need a building to worship God. See, Jesus had to come as the Lamb of God before He could come as the Lion of Judah. The emphasis on the temple had to end so the emphasis could be placed on Jesus Christ. See, He's the provider of our eternal life. He is the sacrifice and if He is our sacrifice, what do we need a temple for? We do not need to go to the temple to sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. And He dwells with you. He lives in you. He's part of you as a believer. It is in the believer that God dwells. We, the church, are His temple. Remember, God does not live and never has and never will live in temples built by human hands. And if anyone needs evidence of that, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27 says this, but God really but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. See, even Solomon knew that the temple wasn't sufficient to contain God. He knew it. He knew that God was far bigger and far greater, far more magnificent to be contained in a temple built by human hands. 
for nothing in all creation can contain God. He is greater and far superior than anything in all creation, for He is God. Then we also could take another look at another spot in the Old Testament of 2 Chronicles that will give us further testimony that God cannot be contained in a temple. 2 Chronicles 2 verse 6 says this, But who is able to build a temple for him, since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him, except a place to burn sacrifices before him? Solomon recognized the purpose of the temple was not to contain God, but the purpose of the temple was to bring sacrifices to cover our sins until the one who once for all washed our sins away came. The temple was there to be a place to provide us a place to be able to sacrifice. But the sacrifice lives with us now, Jesus. Let's take a look at Acts 17, 24 through 28. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. Again, he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God knows what he's doing. He even knew when you were going to exist and where you were going to be born and where you would live. And there's purpose behind that too, because he puts us where he puts us to give us the best opportunity to discover him, though he's not far from any of us. God did this, verse 27, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. God wants us to find him. He wants us to. He's making it possible for us to, because it is in him we live and move and have our being. Without God, we have nothing. We are lost. We are doomed without Him. You see, Jesus had to come as the Lamb of God before He could return as the Lion of Judah. And He will return as the Lion of Judah. And He will come in power and full of strength. And He will establish His kingdom among men once and for all. The second point today of today's message is that though this prophecy is already fulfilled, it applies to you and me today. Though it is fulfilled, it applies to you and me today. Let's return to verses 9 uh, through 12 in Luke 21. Luke 21, 9 through 12 says this, When you hear of wars and revolutions, in other words, rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. See, and this is another thing that makes me think. The end will not come right away. All of these things happen 
But yet, we're still here. We are still here, and we still worship God, and we still praise God. We still lift our hearts to Him every day and give thanks to Him. We still are working the great commission that He has assigned to us. In verse 10, then he said to them, The nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on the, in the account of my name. Brothers and sisters, I do not know about you. But as long as I lived, there's been wars and rumors of wars. And the end is near. Christ is going to come any time. And we know that. But I also tell you that during the days of World War I, they said, the time is near. And when World War II came, the time is near. And then when the Korean War happened, the time is near. The Gulf War, the time is near. And you know what? Everybody in all of those times were correct. The time is near. But the one thing that we need to keep in mind is we are not date setters. We do not choose when God, and when God sends Jesus back to this earth. We do not control that. In fact, when Jesus was asked about this, Jesus told his disciples, Of the day and the hour I do not know. Only the Father in heaven knows. So if Jesus was not privy to when he was going to return, how are we going to be privy of when he returns? Rather than having our focus on when Christ is returning, let's turn our focus back to the basics back to the gospel message, back to sharing the truth with our friends and our families and our acquaintances and those God brings in our path, even for a moment in time. Take those moments that God has given you and use them for eternal purposes. Brothers and sisters, what is the result of all of these bad things happening on the earth, whether it's been the past two years of disease or the current battle between Russia and Ukraine. What is the purpose of it? What will the result of these things taking place be? What is the result of them? It's a good question, isn't it? But you know what? Jesus had the answer in verse 13. He had the answer. This will result in you being witnesses to them. These trials, these difficulties that everybody is afraid of, when they see that you do not have fear, you're going to be a peculiar person to them. It's going to cause them to wonder, why aren't you concerned? Why do you not worry about these things? And then the door is open for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because my hope isn't in this world. My hope isn't in the things that I can have tomorrow or the gifts and blessings that my finances might give me. That's not where my hope is. My hope lies in Jesus Christ. Because he paid a sin debt that I could not pay. 
a sin debt that every one of us owes and none of us on our own can pay. And he wants us to come to him. We can come just as we are, but realize he's not going to leave you the way you are. He will change you. We are called to testify to the world what God has done for us. We are called to boldly proclaim salvation to the world. We are called to rely on God's strength because just at just the right time, He will empower you. At just the right time, He will give you wisdom and He will give you the words to speak. In verse 14, Jesus goes on to say, but to make... But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. And brothers and sisters, we all remember in World War II what happened to the Jews, don't we? We all remember how they were persecuted. And brothers and sisters, if you do any kind of research or any kind of looking at what happens to Christians in the world, they are persecuted all the time. And they're thrown in prison. Some are murdered. They are martyrs. And Jesus said that in these times do not worry about what you will say because I will give you the words and I will give you the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. They won't be able to resist these words. They will not be able to contradict them. This goes for you and me and every believer. God will give us the words at the right time. And here's an example in scriptures that points to that. Do you remember Peter when he told Jesus, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. And Jesus told him behind me, Satan. You remember that? He said, I'll tell you what, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter do? He did exactly what Jesus said. He denied Jesus three times. Another prophecy fulfilled in Peter's life. And it made Peter realize that, hey, I cannot do this on my own power. I need the power of Jesus Christ to do this. And here's the example. Go to Acts chapter 2 later on today. Read through Acts chapter 2 and see the power and the boldness that he was filled with when he preached the first Christian sermon. And I bet you, brothers and sisters, when we go and talk to him, he didn't have a sermon prepared. I bet you God gave him every word at that moment of what he was to speak. And he will do that for you, and you, and you, and you, and me. He will do that for all of us. We have to trust him, depend on him, lean on him. And when the time's right, the Spirit will give us the words. Verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. And brothers and sisters, he's not talking about the first death here, because you and I both know that there are Christians throughout the centuries who have been put to death because of their belief. But you will never perish. You might die out of this physical body, but you will never perish. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have been transformed into His likeness. 
Not a better version of yourself that you once were, but completely transformed into a new person. You will never perish. You will always be God's child. And He will always be your defender. And I love the idea of God being my defender. He will never turn His back on us. He will never betray us. And verse 19 says it all. Verse 19 says it all. By standing firm, you will gain life. Stand firm in your beliefs. Someone wants to throw you in prison, stand firm. Someone wants to have you put to death, stand firm in your beliefs. Teach and preach the truth, stand firm. And when you stand firm, you will gain life. Because this is just a foretaste of what real godly life is like. What life without worry and without problems and without sacrifice is. We're going to be in the presence of God Almighty for all eternity. It'll be an eternal bliss that we can't even imagine. Then we will truly experience life as God has intended life for us. And then point three. Point three Jesus will return suddenly. He is going to return. And when He does, He's going to come suddenly. Verse 34, Be careful your hearts, or your hearts will be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and anxieties of life. And that day will close in on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that, is hap- that, all, all that happens, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. See, just as this time came suddenly upon Jerusalem, when Christ returns, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be momentary. It's going to be bam, and you're in the presence of God and separate from this world for all eternity. It's going to happen that fast. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 says, Now, brothers, at about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, and as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. If you're one who's, if you are one who does not know God, when that day comes, it's going to be a great and terrible day for you. It'll be eternal separation from Him for all eternity. But for those of us who know Him, we'll be with Him in His presence for all eternity. We are, as believers, called to be prepared ready for the return of Jesus. For He is going to come, and when He comes, He will come as a lion. We are not called to figure out when He's going to come. We already talked about that. We are not called to know the hour. We are not called to be microcosms of the world. We're called to be change agents of Christ, ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be set apart from the world. If you look just like the world, 
you're not a believer. If you look just like the world, you're not a believer. The world should see a difference between you and them. If they don't, examine your heart. Examine your heart. And we are called to preach the gospel. We are called to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be light in this dark world. Light. We have Christ in us. How can we not be light in this world? So when Jesus returns, let's pray he finds us doing what we are called to do. Let's not live in fear of a disease. Let's not live in fear of wars. Let's not live in fear of what a man can do to us. Let's live for God and do his will and share the gospel until he returns. So as we close, brothers and sisters, let us listen to the message from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 54. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we, we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has swallowed, been swallowed up in victory. And isn't that what we want? To see death swallowed up in victory. Death does not have victory over the believer. Death will never have victory over the saint of God. We have victory in Jesus Christ and we do not need to fear this world. We do not have to fear what the future holds because just as we have read, we will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We will be imperishable and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What better thing can we look forward to than that?